0: Welcome to our interview with Tayshan, the CEO of Namebase. The podcast begins with a primer on domain name systems and then goes into more details about the Handshake protocol that Namebase is built on top of. There's also details about a free airdrop for developers, which is currently valued at a not insignificant $800 at the end of the podcast. All you need to is to have had a GitHub account in 2018 with 15 or more followers the thing i found really interesting about this podcast or this interview is that what taishan and his team are doing is really building a very easy on-ramp for people to be able to access the distributed web and i think he has some really interesting perspective around why the current dns system is broken and needs to be fixed podcast is nominally about ipfs so that's kind of what we want to talk to you about taishan can you do a quick introduction for our listeners
1: yeah um i'm happy to yeah so i'm the ceo of namebase uh and i guess i'll just first share a little bit about namebase and i will share a bit of my background um so namebase is a domain registrar for the handshake blockchain uh, Handshake is basically like a, a naming blockchain, uh, specifically decentralized DNS. Uh, DNS is the system that kind of controls uh, the names that you, you know, type in for URLs, like google.com, facebook.com, park.io. These are all different domain names, and that system is currently centralized. And what Handshake does is it lets you uh, decentralize the domain name system. Uh, and then what Namebase does is we basically make it very easy for anyone to just go and purchase a name uh, on handshake. And, uh, as part of that, as part of the protocol, you use handshake coins to actually go and purchase the names. So we're actually an on-ramp and we allow anyone to go and buy the coins on Namebase and use them to uh, purchase a handshake name. So that's, uh, that's, you know, what Namebase does. And, uh, you know, prior to that, I previously had started another company. I had actually dropped out of high school to start it. Uh, It was actually a recruiting firm called strong intro and we went through Y Combinator, which was a uh, startup accelerator. Uh, that's very popular in Silicon Valley. So we went through YC in the winter 16 batch, uh, ran that for about a year, Uh, and then afterwards I decided I'd I'd wanted to go to school. So uh, I went to uh, MIT, uh, studied there for about two years uh, before leaving to start Namebase.
0: All right, and you're a Thiel Scholar, is that right?
1: Yes, yes, I (laughs) got that. that. Um, Yeah, I'm also a Thiel Fellow, uh, basically, uh, Peter Thiel, he has this uh, endeavor, I guess, where he gives uh, students $100,000 to drop out and work on a project uh, that they want to. Uh, and so I'm also a teal fellow um, for Namebase.
2: I was going to wind it back a bit, actually, because I got some questions from actually teachers and students. Um, oh, nice. So, so what is DNS?
1: <laughs> What's the <Yeah>. first one? <laughs> <laughs> that's really great. actually you know i would love to hear a little about the uh the audience too so it sounds like it's like teachers and people who are like in, in interested in learning about crypto but not necessarily like you know engineers or people like to bring the weeds
2: yeah yeah so the students at my school um are that's a primary school so um k-6 um we've been exploring blockchain and building networks actually i think we got the world's youngest cisco academy um (laughs) which is like all the way down to year two like kids building their own networks and stuff but there's there's a spectrum so there's students who've got no idea about any of this sort of stuff and then kids Mm -hmm. that are quite advanced so um i've kind of got questions from all different types and there's some teachers interested as well um oh cool yeah yeah which is great so i've got um number of questions around just like what dns is uh what a what a domain is uh or domain name and um like why is it important and how does it work
1: <laughs> yeah that's that's great i really appreciate you also sharing that context i'll uh, i'll dial it back and i'll kind of just try to build up some of the concepts from the ground up uh, yeah. it's actually it's very similar there's a lot of you know terminology thrown around but uh it's actually quite uh simple once you kind of have a, a grasp with some of the basic terminology. Um, so DNS stands for the Domain Name System. Uh, and a domain name is effectively you know, what you see every time you type in a URL, uh, right? So like we're on meet.google.com. Uh, that is a domain name, right? Other domain names that you're probably familiar with are YouTube.com, Facebook.com, GitHub.com, uh, Segment.io, right? Like .io.net.org, uh, us.com of these are all different domain names actually
2: that was one of the questions why is dot o so important one of the kids wrote <laughs> i think that's referring to all these dot io games that are out there and they're like want to know why they're all dot io
1: oh yeah that's a great that's a great question so that's actually just kind of um some like nerdy uh programmer Trivia. So, anytime you see a two-letter TLD like .io, .us, .cn, these are all country-level TLDs. So, .us is for the U.S., United States. .cn is for China. .io is actually for uh, the Indian Ocean. Um, so, it's like a really random, right? Super <laughs> random, right? Like, why, why is, are all these games using .io? uh you know i think the famous game was what was it like snakes.io or something like that slither i think it was slither.io slither uh,
2: yep. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah that quite a bunch um but uh it became really popular because uh.io also in like programmer language stands for in out which is just uh you know s- some terminology that programmers were used and so a lot of tech companies uh basically kind of saw that and they kind of like the io ending and so they just kind of started congregating and using it and so it just became very popular for that so is that is that like binary um it's it's like uh in and out you, you kind of think of it as binary binary but it's more so uh like your system is taking an input uh and it also outputs you know text like when you're on a console um yep. right if you think about how you interact with a computer you it, you literally input right like keystrokes or you move your mouse and stuff like that and that's all input into the system and then the output is what you see on the screen right it's like the video the text, the sounds, and all that. Um, so, the, you know, in and out are, are very uh, core concepts in uh, you know computer language. Um, so that's why it's very popular.
2: That's cool. All right. I learned something there. I thought it was um, one and zero. That's that was the uh, the geeky term behind it. But that's cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah so on,
1: I- on, for a lot of these things, like you know, different people have different reasons for liking it. There's a lot of reasons to like .io.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh, seriously, it's cool. Um, Okay, so so currently how does DNS work?
1: Yeah. Uh, so you know, I think first conceptually I'll just uh, also explain, you know, exactly what is this domain name supposed to be. Yeah. And it's basically a phone book for the internet. Um it's mapping a human readable name like a you know meet.google.com, which is very easy to remember and very easy to type, to a, a computer readable address, which is called a, a IP address. Um, An IP address kind of looks like it's like a string of numbers, like, you know, 192.168.1.1. And that's, you know, that's very hard to remember, right? I'll remember Facebook.com, but I'm not going to remember 192.168.1.1. And, you know, you might think, okay, why do we even have these IP addresses? Uh, Well, it's it's very much kind of similar to, you know, think of a a phone book. It's mapping, uh, you know, your local pizzeria to, you know, 79, uh, you know, pine street or something like that right you know 79 and kearney whatever uh so you have these uh addresses which is what the system uses which was like the, the postal addressing service uses um and that's the same thing that uh the computer uh the computer world, that kind of has the same similar analogy you have these computer addresses which is what the system needs to kind of find different websites but humans don't like to remember that and so humans will have a phone book and that phone book is the domain name system
2: so um so that that kind of makes sense, I suppose. Uh, broken down for for how um, DNS kind of works in itself, but currently, how does it work in terms of um, that that translation? So I know it's yeah. quite centralized, but um, could you break down like what that what that sort of means?
1: Totally, yeah. And you know the the way to think about it is that uh, each chunk, you know, represented by the dot, is a separate component, right? So uh let's just take meet.google.com uh as an example um the, the actual way, way that a computer would kind of break that down is not left to right it's uh, right to left so first it's .com, and then google and then meet uh, and i'll explain what each aspect of that domain name is um com is a top level domain so this is the uh you know very first level of a domain um and and basically there's an organization that kind of owns that namespace there's an organization called verisign and they just control com you can think of you know any company that has a com domain name right facebook.com google.com uh these names are basically all have to uh purchase uh or not really purchase you can't purchase they have to rent a domain name from verisign and then uh verisign goes okay google you've paid me i'm now going to allow you to use google.com i'm going to because verisign controls that namespace so now google can own google.com and so the the com part is the top level domain the google part is actually called the second level domain uh but you know people usually just kind of refer to it as a domain name um and then the you know google.com together is is what people usually refer to as the entire domain name
2: yep yep that makes a lot of sense
1: Um, and you can just go all the way down the hierarchy so now google owns uh you know google.com or they they have access to google.com and so they created another subdomain uh which is meet.google.com. Um you know and we probably have play.google.com. So Google now because they control the Google portion, they can have as many subdomains as they want. Uh, and so that's what the the third portion of it is. And you can you can go you know further down the line you can have multiple sub sub domain, sub 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 domains uh but you know in practice people are just kind of at, at the most you would go down to the subdomain level uh you know you have google.com and then you have meet.google.com you wouldn't have you know video.meet.google.com it's just it's just not really done in practice but you could do it
2: is um so google owning google.com do they have to rent that from somebody or do they own that forever
1: yeah, so they they have to rent it, uh, and they rent it specifically from Verisign, which is actually an interesting. You know, this is part of the reason why Handrick is important, is because you can't actually own a domain name on the internet today. You can only rent it from these uh, owners, um, and then we can talk a little bit more about like the history. You know, why does Verisign own .com and all that? But uh, Google .com they rent it from Verisign, and there's actually some really funny uh, stories of. Uh, you know, sometimes even really big companies forget to renew their domain. And then someone is, you know, random is able to register it, and then they they own it, and then it's like a huge, you know, conundrum, and they have to deal with it. Um, there is a, a famous example a few years back where uh, actually an employee at Google was able to register to google.com uh, because the people at Google literally forgot to renew it. Um, <laughs> they just like put their mind, I guess. And so uh, they he he the the engineer who got it who was actually uh, fortunately was a kind person, and so. They, he sold it back to Google.com and he uh, basically just had them donate all the proceeds to a non-profit. Uh, but even oh, Google.com, that's really cool. which is, right? Yeah, it's amazing. So even Google.com, though, they, they kind of forgot to renew it and then they had it snatched <laughs> away from that temporarily.
2: That's hilarious. <laughs> so for people who don't know um, or have no idea like, or have never heard of Handshake, what is it, essentially?
1: Yeah, so Handshake is basically... Extending, you kind of think of it as extending the existing domain name system. Uh, It's not trying to replace it, it basically just creates an alternative to the existing uh, domain name system. And it uh, tries to fix some of the problems with the existing DNS. So instead of having an organization like ICANN control who gets what TLD, you have uh, the Handshake blockchain, which has a uh, completely decentralized auction mechanism where anyone can participate and register their own TLD. Uh, And it's an open market, right? So if you're uh, in Africa, if you're in the U.S., if you're in Australia, you can all go and see who's registering what TLD, and you can participate in that. It's not happening behind closed doors, uh, and you can register these names. You know, some of these names sell for uh, a lot of money, right? Uh, I think the highest grossing ones were like Doc crypto and coin. They were registered for two hundred thousand HNS and one hundred thousand HNS respectively, which is I think around um, twenty thousand dollars or forty thousand uh, dollars, which is you know like a a, a sizable chunk of yeah. money but you can even have some names that are registered you know for five dollars or even free.
2: yeah i got dot Lorana, that's my school name so i was really happy with it oh nice <laughs> uh, i was bidding against someone i think it might have been one of my friends like trying to get it for me we we're kind of bidding back and forth against it other. I'm like dude yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's cool so so on that on that point so with with the projects with, with handshake they've opted to go like proof of work can you kind of explain what proof of work is and why they've chosen to go that path?
1: Yeah, totally. Um that's a great question. So handshake is uh, the, the protocol in terms of the construction is very similar to Bitcoin. Um you know, I'll, I'll first probably just talk a little bit about proof of work in terms of uh, Bitcoin just to kind of set the stage. People are familiar yeah. with it. Um yeah. you know, basically proof of work is when you uh have to uh, run these mathematical calculations to try to basically find a solution to a problem uh and when you find the solution to the problem uh you're basically able to add a transaction onto the bitcoin blockchain um and it's basically you know without getting too into the weeds uh basically you can kind of think of it as it's a way for um, the blockchain to reach consensus on you know because who who's who's controlling bitcoin right like no one there's no ceo of bitcoin so who do we trust for you know the source of truth right which which bitcoin chain do we follow how do we determine that and that's basically determined by the longest chain on bitcoin the longest uh chain is now determined by you know what has the most amount of work put into it um and so that's uh that's at a high level now if that, that probably honestly wasn't uh, doing it justice, if you have no context on what Bitcoin is, uh, but basically it's you know people running these mathematical calculations that are basically securing the network, and that's why you hear about you know Bitcoin mining is basically doing this. They're they're all mining transactions onto the network. These are you know people who will uh, you can you can mine on your computer, but your computer doesn't really have hardware that's efficient enough to kind of do this uh, economically. So people you know first went to GPUs, which are you know like your graphic cards for gaming. Uh, because graphic cards for gaming uh, you know in games you have to your computer basically just has to do a lot of c- calculations very very quickly in order to show the very you know amazing graphics that computer games now have uh, and so there's very well suited initially for uh mining for bitcoin because you had to run these comp- cal- uh, complicated calculations as well uh, for that um but then now it's you know because the market's gotten even more mature now there are even more specialized uh basically calculators called asics that uh, are very, very efficient. They're very, very powerful. And they're just specifically engineered just to run the calculations that Bitcoin needs. Um, so that's that's what the proof of work uh, protocol is. And it, it basically means that the bigger the chain is, the more secure it is because now you have you know, people spending billions of dollars every day adding transactions to the Bitcoin blockchain. And that just basically adds to the security of it. It makes it very difficult for you to just go and uh, you know, try to tamper with it.
2: So would it be, if you replace the idea of computers with people again, would it be a whole people, a group of people sort of standing in a line all trying to solve like a Rubik's cube, and the first person to solve that Rubik's cube kind of wins the prize? That's how I kind of think about it. And then when you have like your GPUs or your ASIC miners, it's, it's really, really intelligent people. Um, who are just focused on doing that one thing as opposed to being focused on anything else. Would that, would that be a good analogy? Do you think?
1: Yeah, that's totally, that's totally one analogy. And, you know, another analogy you kind of think of just to kind of give a sense of the, the consensus problem, you know, it's if, if I'm going to you and I'm saying, uh, you know, find, uh, find forks, right. And you're like, and, and that's the only instruction that you're, you're given. And you're like, okay, what's, what's Fort Knox? Like, I literally don't know what Fort Knox is. And then I describe, okay, Fort Knox is the, Uh, the tallest hill, like in this valley, right? And then you're looking around and then you see, you know, all these little hills and some are taller than others and some are smaller. And then you see one hill that, you know, literally thousands of people are adding rocks onto every day. And it stands, you know, so much higher than all the others. And then you're like, okay, that's definitely Fort Knox, right? You don't even, you don't need any more information. Now you've coordinated without any information. You're like, okay, that's it. Right. And that's basically where proof of work is, is people adding these rocks onto this hill and whichever one is the tallest you now know that's the correct one. And if you're adding rocks onto the smaller hill, people can very easily see that's not the right hill. So you're just not going to use that one.
2: That's really, really good. That's a, I'm going I'm to steal that. That's an awesome analogy. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so with that... Um, so, uh, yeah. This episode of the IPFS podcast is sponsored by Mount Gox Hiking Tours. Mount Gox, as our listeners would know, is Japan's second most famous mountain and has recently become the go-to place for sightseeing after Mount Fuji closed because of too many tourists. It's a quiet and calm place with minimal human activity and if you are running at the front of the pack, it offers quite spectacular views. Since 2010, Mount Gox hiking tourists have been taking customers to the summit and back down again and have all expenses paid add-ons like flights, accommodation included. They are even tax deductible. Two options are available for payment, including Bitcoin and US dollars. And you can learn more by going to macgox.com forward slash hiking. There's also a link in the show notes. All
0: right. How did you first discover IPFS? So what's your on-ramp onto, you know, the Web3 ecosystem? Or was it just being in, you know, Silicon Valley ecosystem? As you said, you came of age in Silicon Valley, and so it was kind of all around you.
1: Yeah, I think... um... IPFS, uh, more so in uh, the crypto Twitter sphere. It definitely just like pops up. Uh, also on Hacker News, it's a, it's a very like popular web form.
0: Yeah, that's how I discovered it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's great. Um, so it came up through there. Uh, actually, I didn't really pay too much attention to it other than knowing that they uh, you know, raised an, an incredible amount of money uh, during their ICO. Uh, and then I think the, the founder, uh, Juan, uh, he was also at this uh, like decentralized web uh, camp that i had I went to in twenty eighteen. It was run by the internet archive uh, you know like the Wayback machine
0: yeah this the summit the first one
1: yeah, 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 so that was a really good summit. I met him there as well um, and then you know i've I've just seen it kind of uh, grow uh, organically amongst the developers over the past two years, which has been very exciting to see
0: and so when you're explaining uh namebase to um to newbies, what do you use to reference it? So you've used like, okay, back in the day, uh, you know, DNS was like a GoDaddy or something like that. But how do you explain it by reference to kind of web two or um, existing companies?
1: Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, Namebase is a, is kind of like a weird company. Uh, like, you know, most of my experience, a lot of my peers, they're kind of in like B2B SaaS, right? They're, they're start, they start normal startups or they start consumer products. Um whereas Namebase is like we're a company building on top of a protocol, and the protocol itself is also you know growing and people are learning about it. Uh so we kind of have to explain two things, which is Namebase and Handshake. Um the name base analogy is pretty straightforward. We're basically like GoDaddy and Coinbase. Uh we're GoDaddy in the sense that you know you can go onto Namebase and buy a domain name for Handshake, and then we're Coinbase in the sense that you can go into Namebase and buy handshake coins. Um
0: so Coinbase in a sense of not the the coin that you know the miner is minting for themselves coinbase is in the company coinbase
1: yeah coinbase.com okay um which i think i think people most most consumers just kind of associate that with the uh the company i think at this point they've done a good job on the branding there um but that's that's what name base is uh in terms of analogy for handshake it's really just the same thing as your normal domain name system and it's just uh decentralized so i think the tricky thing is most people you know the dns as is like one of the internet applications that has the most number of users around the world right everyone who's using the internet is using dns every day uh every day every time you type in a url facebook.com google.com instagram whatever you're using the domain name system and people just don't really realize that they're using that protocol Um, and so first the, the analogy is just calling out exactly what that is and be like, Hey, like that's the domain name system. Uh, and then I can just explain that that system is like centralized and there's, you know, various aspects of that, but handshake basically just decentralizes it and makes it possible for you, uh, as an end user to actually have a domain name that can't be shut down because that's something that's very easy to do nowadays. That's the the main way that countries will censor uh, the internet is they'll just block uh, domain names. And not only that, but on a normal domain name, you can't actually ever own it. If you buy a .com domain name, you're not actually buying it. You're just renting it. They did a really good job you know, with that branding, uh, which is kind of misleading. You're, you never can buy a domain name. You can only ever rent it, and you have to renew you know, every year. And it can be taken away from you at any time. And with Handshake, when you own your name, you truly own the name. You have a private key for the name. Only your private key can control that name, and no one can be blocked from uh, accessing it. Uh, So those are the significant benefits that Handshake kind of provides over the existing DNS protocol. But in terms of, you know, conceptually like using it, uh, it's basically the same thing as normal DNS.
0: Okay. So you buy it and then you own it forever. And if you wanted to take it down, like say something happened to you, would you have to put in some kind of third party kill switch? Kieran was telling me all about these dead... (laughs) What did you call them, Kieran?
2: A uh, dead man switch, no, it probably doesn't. Dead man switch or
0: this kind of thing, because maybe you didn't want your website to persist oh, forever. Yeah, 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 and yeah. you're not, you're not renting it. It's not like IPFS where if it becomes, um, sorry, like something that's not pinned on IPFS or something that is given relevance by the number of people that are that are hosting it.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so actually, it's interesting because Handshake kind of has dead man switches built into it.
0: Okay. Wow.
1: Yeah. So when you have the name. Uh, first is every two years, you uh, want to send a heartbeat signal. Uh, there's just like a, a transaction that you can send. And basically what that transaction does is it proves to the network that you still control the private key for that name. So if you if you like you know literally die and you're not able to send that heartbeat transaction, then that name will be uh, basically uh, removed and someone else can just go and bid on it and use it effectively. So that's the first demand switch. The other thing that you can do is you can actually... Uh, initiate a transaction. This is kind of to prevent uh, theft uh, or to disincentivize theft, which is you can actually initiate a transaction that uh, will transfer your handshake name and then will basically uh, revoke it, which means that it'll uh, go back to the pool of names that anyone can just go and uh, bid on. Um, and the reason why that was created is just because if there's someone that you know steals your private key, then you can make it so that they're not actually able to steal your private key. Um, and you're able to kind of, you know, take it back from them and put it into the general pool where anyone can just, you know, go and compete with that uh, thief.
0: Yeah. So there's less incentive for them to want to steal it from you because they might not, there's no guarantee they would get it.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Okay, cool. So how do you stop? I mean, this is a perennial question with um, DNS services, but how do you stop squatting? Or do you need to, I mean, in this permissionless world, do
1: we need to, to do that? Yeah, that's a great question. The Interesting thing is one is in the permissionless world after the squatting is done. Obviously you can't revoke that, but you can do a lot to actually mitigate the squatting, uh, during the issuance. And that's the most important thing, which is, uh, you really want to make sure that the naming system, the namespace is, uh, well distributed, right? You can imagine if, if one person was able to kind of do like a pre-mine for Handshake and just register all the good names, or, you know, imagine they have like a dictionary, they register like a million names, then that massively disincentivizes new entrants from adopting the namespace. Um, So that would just kind of kill the protocol. And that's kind of...
0: Yeah, because nobody would use it.
1: Exactly. Right, why, like you, you... Are trying to get equity in this new name space and if someone already has all the equity there's no reason for you to adopt it unless it's like massively successful but there's no reason why it would become massively successful if someone was able to just you know pre-squat all the good names so that was actually a lesson that handshake learned from previous incarnations Uh, like namecoin for example that was probably the uh the first ever naming protocol uh, that was like, you know, at least popular within crypto and that was one of the issues, which is you could buy any name on day one You could buy it for a flat fee. That was like very very cheap uh, And so you had people I think Kieran actually had a, a story of uh, getting a lot of name uh, name coin names
2: I did. Yeah. Yeah, and I like lost them. <laughs> I went through the fortune 500 again and got them like all got all the names and like I set my calendar to um, like, I I messed up and said it like the day before it was meant to expire. Cause you had to like manually like um, renew it, and um, I like logged in. i like, oh no, <laughs> they're all gone. So But anyway, it didn't take off. So, but I was still I think like now I was having this conversation this morning like with this um, this group that is doing a big thinking conference in Victoria and they're looking at pivoting and doing it online and um, getting people to speak and but. Cool cool group and everything but like we got into the subject of intellectual property and I was kind of like, well, yeah intellectual property is great, but does anyone really invent anything like it's, it's, as long as something's open source and you're kind of sharing ideas then stuff gets built like when you're just hoarding stuff and you know not not sharing ideas then nothing gets built upon that so that's what I kind of like see an analogy with that with with you guys in namecoin like it's not either either. It's like you saw that and you built something better that on those sort of ideas. And I think that's really important.
0: So, Tayshin, how did you what were your learnings from what happened at Namebase? I'm sorry,
1: at Namecoin. Uh, great question. So and and it wasn't actually us that applied them because Namebase didn't actually create handshake. We're just coming in and building on top of it because we were excited about it. Um, and the things that, you know, made us excited was because they had mechanisms to uh, mitigate squatting. And, and it's not, I don't think the issue is the right framing is not that you want to remove squatting or mitigate squatting. It's you want to ensure that the distribution of the names uh, is fair and also well distributed so that you get the right participants who are bought in who, you know, have equity in the namespace and want to help improve it and further it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that they uh, did that is one is they had the names release on a uh, delayed schedule. So basically each week uh, during the first year of launch, so we're now about like six months into that, uh, a new set of names is available for launch. So that's why if you go on Namebase and you search for a name, uh, one, some of the names might be available for bidding instantly, but other names might be available later in October or March or you know January or whatever. And so that actually makes it so that the early adopters don't have uh, too much of an unfair advantage to get all the good names. So someone coming in in October will still actually have access to, you know, just as much of a shot to get a good name as someone who's on board right now, because a lot of those names will only release after uh, October. In addition to that, um, the other really important thing is that, you know, different names are more valuable than other names. Uh, Obviously it's dependent on the participant, but there's generally like a, a market price that can be determined. And so you really want, for these systems, you really want uh, to allow the market to do price discovery. Uh, what that means is you know, something like Namecoin, right, where each name had the same flat fee, uh, that is really bad because then the really good names are just go to whoever gets there first, versus going to whoever values the name the most. Uh, and so Handshake actually has an auction system, it's completely decentralized and on-chain, where uh, anyone can bid for a name and the winner uh, who has the highest bid they win it and they pay the second highest bid price. So it's like a, a, a Vickery Yeah, Vickery. And that's, and that's super important. We've seen that actually play out so effectively, uh, just even in the first six months of launch. So some names will go for literally free where no one else bids on them and you just get it for free. Uh, and then other names like .Wallet, for example, that sold for 350,000 H&S. The highest bid, I think, was $400,000 h and s so $350,000 h and s that's about uh, $70,000. So it's an incredible sum of uh, money that was paid for a single name, whereas some, some names are uh, valued very little, and they go for free, and then other names go for that much, uh, and that's the auction mechanism.
0: Is it a, um, the timing of the auction, when it finishes, is that unknown, or is that calculated by algorithm, or is there some like randomness built into it, or how do people know? Because people always game these auction
1: systems. Totally, that's a great question. Uh, that is determined by algorithm. Basically, there is uh, first one calculation that's done to determine when a name uh, can first be uh, bid on. Um, so for example, you know, maybe Kieran is available in October uh, October 1st. That means October 1st is the earliest time at which someone can bid. But that doesn't mean that that's when the auction starts. Maybe no one bids on Kieran. For another year past that, but then once the first bid goes in, uh, you know, more technically, you actually need to open the auction and submit a transaction for that. But it's it's just an implementation detail. We kind of abstract this away on Namebase. But basically, once that first bid comes in, then uh, everyone else has five days to go and participate in that auction. Um, and so it's just a five-day uh, uh, static amount of time that each auction will last.
0: Cool. So. You guys didn't create the Handshake protocol, right? So my question is, how do you make money? Like, what's the business model? Because if we were talking to Molly last week about protocol labs and how obviously they'd incentivized a lot of that, um, you know, great developers and team members to come on board, um, obviously because they've, you know, they are bought into the mission mostly, but also um, they're compensated because of the crypto economics of, Filecoin, right, which is built out through um, proto, um, Protocol Labs. But if you are not um, the originators of Handshake and Namebase is not a third party provider like I don't know GoDaddy or whoever, how what's what's the business model? It's really interesting.
1: Yeah, totally. So uh, first is on the on-ramp portion. Uh, like an exchange, we uh, basically have a normal uh, spread. So like, you know, when you buy uh, Bitcoin on Coinbase or you buy Bitcoin on Binance, they get a small spread of that. And that's how they make money. And we have the same revenue model. Uh, and then past that, we basically just try to create value added services on top of Handshake. So one of the really interesting things is with Handshake, you're actually uh, getting a domain extension and not just the, the domain itself. So instead of owning uh, you know, google.com, when you get a Handshake name, you actually own the .com portion of it. That's, that's the extension. So you can, for example, I can own .rogear on Handshake and then I have .rogear and I, I can actually issue as many uh, domains off of that top level domain is what it's called, that domain extension. I can issue yeah. doma- uh, domains off of that. And um, one of the really cool things that we've recently launched is this name-based registry which is we can allow you to actually go and sell domains off of your TLD uh, through traditional domain registrars like 101domain.com and encirca.com. I'm not sure if those are popular um, in, in Australia, but they're, they're relatively large and old domain registrars. So uh, now if you have an extension, we can actually allow you to sell domains off of your extension uh, to you know, whatever community you're trying to target. Uh, And so, you know, based off that service, we're able to generate revenue from that as well.
0: Okay. What are the differences between like using ENS and IPFS to like, why would I use Handshake rather than Ethereum? Um, Or I think there was a couple of other, basically, I'm asking you like about your competitors in this space and what they offer and, you know, how these things kind of differ because a lot of people are using IPFS. And also, I think I just saw you guys... um, we're running a Gitcoin hackathon with SIA. So you're obviously um, storage platform or storage system agnostic, right? So you're in trying to integrate with as many of these um, uh, cryptography based, I don't know, pro, you know native protocols.
1: Yeah, uh, great question. So there are numerous differences. I think the, the first thing that is really important to clarify is that they kind of sit at different layers of the stack. And it's not really inherently competitive. Um, So what I mean by that is Handshake allows you to register decentralized domain extensions, Um, right? You can have uh, .rogear, .wallet, you know, uh, .whatever you want. And with uh, ENS, for example, you're actually getting a decentralized uh, domain off of the .eth domain extension. And actually .eth as an extension was uh, reserved for the ENS team uh, on Handshake, and so you can actually have that be compatible. Where you know, if you're using Handshake for resolution, you can access the entire Handshake internet uh, while still being able to access ENS names uh, oh, at cool. .e.
0: If I just want a decentralized website that somebody can't take down, I can, and I don't care what the um, what the dot, whatever it is. I can use .eth or you know handshake or any of that kind of thing. But if I want something specific, so .dot nolan for instance, then I would use handshake.
1: Am I understanding correctly? Um, yeah, that's that's one fair reason, which is like you can just get a better name uh, for your decentralized website. The other aspect that's pretty important is just in terms of the uh, the goals and the focuses of the protocol. I haven't really touched on this as much, but it's actually uh, from a technical perspective the the primary uh, use case for the protocol, which is handshake is specifically, uh, just only focused on DNS. So ENS originally was more for like wallet names and they kind of, uh, also touch on the you know DNS use case, but that's not really their primary function. Uh, and you know, we've, we've met the team a bunch of times and we really like them Brantley, especially, uh, but you know, their bread and butter is on wallet naming and less so on DNS. Uh, and there's, there's a significant amount of stuff that you actually kind of need to do in order to get the DNS experience right and secure. Um, and for Handshake, that's actually the main focus is on the security angle. So right now, when you're in, uh, browsing the internet, right, you kind of have this like HTTPS uh, secure link to a website and then you have a secure connection. Um, the protocol that kind of secures that connection uh, uses a component called a certificate authority, which is not something that you know, lay people would kind of know about, but basically it's uh, effectively a trusted backdoor in every connection. On the internet, so whenever you're visiting a website, uh, these certificate authorities are trusted backdoors um, in, into your connection, and, if, and there are thousands of CAs, and they're they're based in different countries. If you go on your computer now, you'll probably find if you're on uh, if you're on Mac, you'll probably see like a Hong Kong certificate authority uh, installed on your computer, and then you know Hong Kong is uh, basically controlled by the CCP now. Um, and and just to illustrate kind of the the worldwide extent of these CAs, and effectively that's a huge security vulnerability. Uh, and uh, basically the way that security on the internet works today is uh, security theater. And this is not something that like, you know, most lay people will think about. Most, lay, you know, lay people don't really think about security, but it's actually the primary uh, innovation for Handshake over normal DNS is that not only are these names very difficult to take down, uh, but you can actually make them more secure because you can, using the uh, decentralized protocol, you can actually get rid of certificate authorities. Uh, so there's a set function improvement in the security of the protocol. So that's the specific focus of Handshake. And that's actually one of the primary functions of the network is to provide uh, basically a more secure, decentralized internet. Um, and there's actually, there's more infrastructure that's needed to be created to fully enable that in a seamless experience. And we're not, we're not there yet. Uh, but that's, that's one of the strongest reasons why you'd use Handshake over something like ENS. They're, that's not really their focus. You know, that If you kind of look at any of the discussion around ENS, uh, decentralizing CAs is is not actually their focus. They're more so trying to work within the existing uh, ICANN controlled system. Uh, so ICANN is like the governing body that kind of controls who owns what domain extension, and ENS is trying to fit within that existing system, uh, which to us is kind of defeats the purpose of the decentralization. Because as long as the root namespace can be controlled by a central authority, then your namespace is not actually uh, decentralized. Um, so there's just like a number of philosophical differences. Uh, the, the focuses of the protocols are very different. Um, and, and that right now, that's the strongest reason for why you'd actually choose a handshake name over ENS. Uh, but in terms of like concrete for the end user, that hasn't really manifested yet because there's still infrastructure that's being created.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a great answer. Thanks, Tishan. That's really very clear. Um, I think it's interesting. You started at the beginning saying that you guys were really focused on getting people a handshake name. Um, but really you're a security company. And I think there's so many companies like that. If you look at Stripe, it's like a way to move money. No, it's a security company. If you look at Coinbase, it's like, ah, a place to store my crypto or buy crypto. No, it's a security company. Like actually so many of these things at a foundational layer come back to like, really what we do is, is security. Because I think what you said that piqued my interest in the previous podcast was you said that your core functionality... Uh, was you had you had looked at Bitcoin and um, proof of work, and you thought that you know from a security perspective it's very sound, it's um, it's proven, all of this kind of thing. Um, but my yeah, my question was why not a proof of stake, or why not proof, why not plugging in as a parachain or a thread on something like Polkadot, where you can then go off and build your specific blockchain for, as you say, um, uh, migrating certificate authorities into um, the world of, uh, what's the word, Uh, irrelevance um, and build it like that. What is, um, because even, I mean, Ethereum too is proof of stake and sharded network. Like, obviously, I think about it from the perspective of, There's just not enough computers and there's just not enough money basically to go around for everyone to be running proof of work um chains but you know maybe you can't answer this because as you said you guys are building on top of handshake as opposed to um the originators of that protocol
1: you know we've we've actually done some contributions to the protocol but in general like you know for us to kind of dedicate our lives to this kind of build on top of it we kind of needed to do a deep technical analysis of the protocol Uh, My co-founder, the CTO of Namebase would probably be, you know, even better for asking these types of questions, but I can kind of give a general sense, which is the goal of Handshake was really to create a uh, naming layer for the Internet that uh, literally the entire world can rely on. So it's really meant to be a fork of this Internet naming system that uh, can even be, you know, interplanetary uh, to an extent if necessary. But even just, you know, for this globe, it's meant to be able to support uh, the naming system uh, for the entire world. Uh, and that means it needs to have, uh, like, you know, top-notch proven security and needs to be able to scale, uh, to be able to actually encompass the naming needs of the world. And, um, there are specific reasons why Handshake chose proof of work, uh, given the, those goals, which is, you know, proof of stake. I, I think it's very compelling and I'm very excited about it. But uh, Bitcoin has, uh, is really the only protocol that it has the track record uh, of success and uh, security uh, that we can kind of rely on, right? And that's not to say that these other protocols are not going to achieve that track record so far. It's literally just a matter of, you know, like the, the physics of it. There's, you know, crypto's only been around for 11 years and Bitcoin is the oldest thing. Proof of work is the oldest protocol. And uh, so far it hasn't really cracked yet, right? Like, you know, there have been some small issues, but it's really, really held its ground for a long time. And so that we know that that's like a very reliable uh, mechanism. And that's why that was chosen. Actually, Handshake was originally implemented on uh, Cuckoo cycle, uh, which I think is like a proof of stake, uh, you know, ASIC resistant um, protocol. And it was actually swapped out because there was a determination that instead of relying on these new unproven technologies, no matter how promising, uh, instead of trying to innovate on that, why not just use protocols that we can trust uh, and then just innovate on the naming layer so that's why proof-of-work was chosen um, and in terms of uh, you know they not being enough you know hash power for you know uh, you know millions of proof-of-work protocols I completely agree with you the only two protocols that I would have conviction in are really just Bitcoin and handshake and the, if you look at handshakes hash rate actually it's, it's really interesting um, I think it's on h uh, can Dot com. The oh. hash rate for hand skyrocketed. It's grown exponentially. Um, yeah. and so the hash rate has been climbing, uh, and that's quite secure. But in general, like the, the two use cases that I'm most excited about for crypto, and I think that are the most obvious, right? Namecoin was one of the first decentralized uh, blockchains uh, applications, mm-hmm. app. very, very canon, right? The very clear use cases and needs for blockchains is you have this decentralized currency or store value, and then you have decentralized naming. Um, and so I, I think that there's, there's room in the world for Handshake as a Proof-of-Work protocol to actually exist and, and be very, very secure.
0: Tulips, 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 the most beautiful flower on earth. More stylish than a rose, more romantic than a daisy. Terracotta Tulips is your all-in-one online location to buy, sell, and trade tulips in terracotta clay and other 100% sustainable and renewable materials. Find out more at terracottatulips.com forward slash bubble. The um, Namebase and IPFS. Tell me why Kieran is like obsessed with this and just so excited about these two, you know, the coming together of
1: these two protocols.
0: Like, what is the potential? Like you were talking interplanetary
1: scale. I feel like Karen answering it might be might be even <laughs> better, better than me, to be honest.
2: <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I'm excited about it. Obviously, bringing together decentralized DNS and and decentralized storage just so. Well, one from an educational perspective. So, um, like we probably went into on the last podcast, um, students creating their own website and then being able to have full ownership over that. I think is next level because at the moment all their stuff that they're doing is just uploaded to all these third parties that can be deleted, can be and it has been deleted off multiple platforms like all over the place and it's just not fair. So I think ownership, so student ownership is the, the number one thing that gets me excited about it. Um, number two, kind of future thinking, I suppose um, and creating Web3, I think this is the basis of that. So moving away from like, you know, 404 errors and the the crappy web that we have now into something that's fair for everybody and Doesn't break all the time is uh, <laughs> Is the two two main things that I think are, are really important, but um, maybe you've got another t- take Um
1: Yeah, I, I would say Karen. I, I largely agree with you uh, which is if you're trying to imagine a decentralized web uh, future it's really impossible to have that without a decentralized uh, naming layer. So you can have you know, IPFS links uh, or you know, Skynet links and whatnot. But ultimately, these, the, you know, the addresses for these websites are, are very opaque. Right? They're not human readable, they're not memorable. So you need to store them uh, on a human readable layer, uh, always at, at some point. And right now, the way that's, that's often done is you either use like, a gateway or you maybe you use like a normal domain uh, and you pin it to that, that domain. Uh, And so that means that 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 centralized uh, choke point is going to prevent the vision of the decentralized web from uh, becoming realized. Uh, So that's that's the first aspect. The second aspect that's really interesting is with Handshake, you get these fully decentralized websites, but it's also a a naming layer that is... uh, basically significantly more reliable than anything else that can exist so ens as in its current incarnation is uh you know more centralized in, in the issuance than the icann internet uh, if you look at something like unstoppable domains with their dot crypto you know they basically control the issuance for that and so if they were stopped from issuing names then that actually really affects the decentralized naming system so you really need the de- uh, decentralization across the entire stack you need the names uh ownership to be decentralized, you need the resolution to be decentralized, and you need the issuance to be decentralized. And Handshake is the only name protocol that actually has all those and is specifically focused on DNS, not to knock the other protocols or just, you know, that, that really is.
0: No, but I think you need to explain the difference because I, I feel like after this interview, I do understand the difference now.
2: So I might, might um, just jump in and go with a few more questions. Um, so uh, obviously you saw my tweet I got uh <laughs> I got Phil Knight's domain name, so I was like, oh my god, like the the head of Nike. Um so, I, so to, to,
0: You're such a troll, Kieran. Right? Yeah,
2: man. <laughs> it's me <weird> in <laughs> the picture. You can basically go I've gone through like all the Fortune five hundred like names of people just to see if I can bid on their domains and I've got a bunch of them. Elon Musk like went really quickly, but <laughs> I was really stoked that I got I got Phil Knight. Um so Yeah, decentralized DNS plus IPFS. Could you just do a a quick overview of not so much the process, but kind of like what what that means for the internet kind of moving forward?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, It's really interesting when you combine decentralized DNS with the storage layer, decentralized storage layer like IPFS. It basically allows you to create fully decentralized websites uh, and this is actually very important for uh, Web3 and the, the D-Web in general, where right now, let's say like a popular application uh, like Uniswap, for example. Uh, you can go to Uniswap.exchange and access that front-end interface, uh, but that front-end is effectively uh, a centralized front-end, right? So there's uh, you know, someone, uh, probably Hayden, who has Uniswap.exchange, bought it through like Namecheap or GoDaddy or whatever. And that means that uh, you know, if the SEC goes after them, uh, which it seems like they're, you know, their the uh, SEC is starting to kind of take a look at some of these decentralized exchange protocols. Um, Uniswap might be okay because they don't think they're collecting any revenue at the moment or not doing anything, so they can probably they're probably fine for the uh, meantime. But uh, so i just going on a tangent. But uh, effectively, what it means is that when the SEC does try to pursue them, or for for whatever other reason, right, maybe. Uh, you know, FinCEN for AML or any other organization, they can actually go and get Uniswap to shut down that exchange interface. Uh, and th- that is a problem because now, you know, th- pretty much all the people who are using Uniswap today are probably using it through that interface. And so even if the behind the scenes protocol is decentralized, if the access layer is yeah. uh, centralized, then that's a problem.
0: For sure, because Uniswap could also be hacked, couldn't it? In 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 some way, the the front end could be modified to I don't know. There could be a um, a separate gateway that's you know transferring to a different address or siphoning off to a different address that's like barely visible. Like so, if there's any part of the application that's centralized, that's an attack vector.
1: Oh yeah, that's a great point, and that's that's uh, exactly correct. Um, you know, you can imagine if the registrar gets hacked, right, if I hope Hayden has two-factor enabled on the registrar, if his, if his account gets hacked there, and then uh, someone just goes and points the DNS to their own website that is basically the, an exact clone, uh, but they just modify the addresses, and that'll allow them to basically just steal uh, as many fun, as much funds as gets deposited into Uniswap uh, before people kind of catch on to it, which could be a, a long time, you know, if uh, as long as people are just using that same interface. So it's definitely uh, a security threat um, and it's generally just a, a threat to any decentralized service in general uh, because typically decentralized gateways become very popular uh, access points for these decentralized services. So you really wanna have a fully decentralized end-to-end, uh, you know, not only the name resolution, but also the backend as well. And then that will give you uh, the decentralized web that's a lot more powerful.
2: Yeah, very cool. So. Um... Your personal website, I was just having a look at it, I really like it, (laughs) it's so minimal minimal and kind of uh, outlines your history. Is that hosted on IPFS? Yeah, so that's actually, uh,
1: this was hosted on Vercel. I was using it as a personal, um, I was using it as a uh, personal demonstration of that integration. So Vercel is, and that's one of the cool things about Handshake is, it was actually built to be compatible with the existing uh, DNS protocol. So the idea is that if you switch over to using Handshake resolution uh, on your computer, you can still access all your normal websites, but you also get to access uh, the Handshake websites as well. And uh, one of the uh, very popular deployment solutions called Vercel, they recently raised like a 20 million Series A or something like that. They're very popular amongst developers they actually integrated Handshake to support it. So that if you go and deploy a website on Vercel, you can actually go and attach your Handshake name to it. So that, uh, that website is actually on Vercel, uh, but it's, it's fairly trivial to hook up a Handshake name to an IPFS website. It's basically the same as you know, when you're using a .eth name and you, just, you pin your IPFS uh, link to that, you can do the same thing on Handshake. Uh, and then that resolution um, is very decentralized.
2: Yeah, cool, Oh, that's awesome. So so you've got that website and then you've got hns.to slash Is that, what's the difference between the two sites? Because it looks like they're sort of pointing to the same thing.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So they are uh, pointing to the same thing. Uh, hns.to is just like a really simple gateway to Handshake. So for people who are on the normal internet and haven't uh, set up a Handshake Uh, resolver, or they don't have a Handshake extension installed, that's just a really easy way for them to go uh, and visit it. Um, But probably a a better way uh, that should be coming out very soon is actually um, a Chrome extension that one of the uh, Skynet and uh, Namebase Hackathon participants created, which will actually resolve Handshake names, and it resolves uh, Skynet URLs, and I think they're adding support for IPFS links as well. And so if you have that extension... (laughs) (laughs) That yeah, creepy yeah, as. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think that's what <laughs> we have in Victoria now, right? With the drones flying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was um,
1: a funny name. Um, it's, another, it's like another decentralized storage layer. And so this extension okay. basically just can support multiple layers because ultimately once you have a name, uh, that anyone can resolve. You can point it to anything, right? So you can point it to IPFS or to another protocol, right? The default is a DNS protocol, but you can also point it to IPFS to get the fully decentralized resolution. Um, and that's something that, uh, you know, people can just go and install on their computer and go and use. And, and that should be ready pretty soon because it was demoed um, just last week during the hackathon. Oh,
2: cool. Uh, definitely got to check that out. That sounds really awesome. Um, Now, I had a bunch of other questions, but the bell's just gone, (laughs) and I'm getting called from the office from the looks of it, so I'm probably going to have to cut it short. Um.
0: You can contact Tation at Tation R on Twitter. That's T-I-E-S-H-U-N-R. And for the handshake dev airdrop, go to namebase.io forward slash airdrop to claim their handshake. It is... Pretty straightforward, we've tried it at work, no problems, just follow the instructions. All you need is to have had a GitHub account since 2018 and have had 15 followers. Please send us your feedback, let us know what guests you'd like to interview, or if you're doing something creative or interesting on IPFS, we'd love to hear from you and feature you on the show, so get in touch. The podcast is hosted by myself, Jeanne Baden, and Kieran Nolan, and was mixed and produced by Efe Vardale. The music featured is a track called Zero Equals Infinity by Van Seel.